So Money Episode 247, Sharon Epperson. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, I have the great pleasure and privilege of speaking with a fantastic award-winning journalist, Sharon Epperson. Sharon is currently a correspondent for CNBC covering the commodity markets and personal finance. She also appears on other NBC news shows like The Today Show and Nightly News. I'm sure you've seen her on television. She reports on a daily basis from the New York Mercantile Exchange, where she covers the energy markets. She's won numerous awards, including a Gracie Award for Outstanding Online Host for her Financial Advisor Playbook video series on CNBC.com and the Trailblazer of the Year Award from the New York Association of Black Journalists. Sharon has a bachelor's degree in sociology and government from Harvard and a master's in international and public affairs from Columbia. So interesting that she ended up as a financial journalist and she talks about that journey, how she became the woman that she is today. What were the what was the path that took her to CNBC? The opportunities that led her to financial journalism. You know, she admits she was a little unsure of covering business news as a young reporter. We also discuss why Sharon is not worried about the fluctuations in the marketplace. This interview was recorded in late August when as we know, the markets went on quite a roller coaster. We had a tumultuous end to August. And so what does Sharon make of all these heavy moves in the market? And what are her predictions as we go into the fall? The financial lessons she learned from watching her parents. That's another topic that we talk about with Sharon because she says, interestingly enough, her parents did not really talk about money, but she still learned quite a bit from mom and dad. And she shares that with us. Here we go. Here is the lovely Sharon Epperson. Sharon Epperson, welcome to So Money. A pleasure to have you on the show. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. What a wild time to be having you on So Money. Now, this we are taping this at, towards the end of August where we have seen markets plummet. And now today we're seeing markets uh, doing better, which typically happens after a huge drop. Uh, we have news from China that's impacting markets. And um, I mean, people were anticipating a quote unquote correction. How are you interpreting what's going on in the volatility in the market these days? Well, you know, a lot of people were thinking that we were going to see a market correction. And what that really means, that's just market talk for seeing a dip in the stock price of about 10% from recent highs. And we've seen that um, happen over the last couple of weeks. And it's happened because, after all, we have seen such a strong gain in the markets and in stock prices over the last several years. It's rare to see year after year of gains, even though we love to see it in our uh, 401k statements and our IRA statements, and we keep seeing how much money we're making. Eventually, the market has to correct or pull back, regain its footing, and we're seeing that right now. So you, when this happened and you saw talk, stocks the first day tumble, you like me, people were like, what do you think we should do? And I was like, I'm going to enjoy a glass of wine. Like I'm not concerned about the day-to-day fluctuations. This was to be expected. And if you're in it for to win it for the long run, you've got a 401k, you have an IRA, you shouldn't, would you agree you shouldn't be so concerned about the day-to-day movements? 
Well, the funniest story I heard was someone saying that she was really, really concerned about what was happening and all the media talk about the decline in the stock market. And her friend asked her, well, what are you invested in? She's like, nothing. And so her friend was like, you don't really need to be working at all. You actually have to be in the stock market right. to really be concerned about this. You also have to be in need of the money that you have in stocks in the next five years or so to really be worried. And if you are in need of that money, it should never have been in stocks in the first place. So like you, I'm not concerned at all. I don't think anyone who is investing in stocks for the right reason, which means for a long-term objective that's more than 5, 10, 20 years away, should be concerned at all because this is a market correction, we're going to see this many, many more times before we're going to need that money from our 401ks or IRAs for retirement. So it's really not something that people should get that concerned about. Sharon, you cover a lot of different topics for CNBC, not only personal finance, but I also sometimes see you covering energy. And you've been at this for decades. What is your favorite aspect when it comes to covering the markets, covering the financial news space, what really still gets you excited? What gets me excited are weeks like this week where, yes, it seems like it's a real shock to many people that we're seeing this stock market plunge, but it's also an opportunity for many people to pay attention to what I do every day, to financial news and to their own finances. And anything that really scares people straight is something that I enjoy reporting on and I enjoy talking about. And so I feel like this is a time and what I do and what you do is very important to help people figure out where they stand, reassess where they want to be, and then try to figure out who to talk to, what information to get so that they can reach those goals. And so that's really what I'm most passionate about is helping people manage, grow, and protect their money. And plan. And we know going into the fall, we're hearing a lot about the potential for interest rates to rise. This should not come as news to anybody. We've been in a very low interest rate environment for years. With the rise in interest rates that's coming, that's forthcoming, Sharon, what do you think people should be concerned about or be looking into if you're, say, going to buy a home or refinancing, uh, maybe do that before October? Well, I think what you should be doing right now, again, it's a good time to review where you are. So really see what your debt situation is like, um, what your credit card debt situation is like, what your mortgage debt situation is like, um, and see what may happen. Because, of course, when interest rates rise, there may be changes in those rates that you're paying. And you want to make sure um, if you're with a variable rate type of debt that you are understanding what that is and how much you owe and, and how you're going to be able to pay that off. And if you are interested in refinancing or if you're interested in buying, it's also important to know where you stand in terms of the assets that you have and the debt that you owe because that's what lenders are going to be looking at. So this is, again, a good time to do that review. I do think, though, as we are looking at the potential for rates to go up sometime before the end of the year, perhaps, um, it is important to make sure that you really figure out what you can afford to buy. And even if rates go up a little bit, you may be in a better place even a couple months from now if 
you can afford those monthly payments and rushing to try to buy something now before you think interest rates are going to go up and not getting really what you can afford or really what's going to be best for you. So rates are important to follow, but we're still going to be, even with a rise that's anticipated from the Federal Reserve, we're going to be at relatively historically low interest rates for mortgages and for many other products. So you want to pay attention to the rates going up, but you don't want that to drive your decision. Really, your overall financial picture is really what's going to drive that big, big investment decision, which is investing in a home. What I think is so interesting and, and and exciting about you, Sharon, looking back at how you got started in this industry, I did a little reporting on you, a little research, <laughs> and I found out that you actually majored in sociology and government at Harvard, then international affairs at Columbia. You always had an interest in becoming a broadcast journalist, or was that something that kind of hit you somewhere along the way in your 20s? Uh, are, are you surprised by the fact that you've come and established a, a career in this space? Well, I'm, uh, surprisingly, I actually knew about what I wanted to do when I was in high school. And I probably even before that, because um, I know we chat. I love to chat. I love to talk. I love to tell stories. I love to hear stories. And that's kind of what we do as reporters, right? We tell stories. We tell stories that we think people need to know and information that people need to know. And, and when I was a, a teenager and a preteen, talking on the phone was the way I did it. When I got into high school, I discovered a class, Journalism 101, at my local public high school. And the teacher that I had there was my English teacher, my homeroom teacher. And she told us that she would give us a class that would be not like any other elective. It's going to be an elective where you're really going to have to work hard, um, but you're going to get a lot out of it and you're going to have a great time. And she was absolutely right. And it was um, a class that, as a freshman in high school, gave me the opportunity to try to write for my school newspaper, which was not something that you just automatically were able to do. It was a very competitive um, newspaper team at the time. And also gave us an opportunity to do an advertising campaign, do a radio show on a cassette tape. I am totally dating myself. Um, but it was just really, really a fun opportunity to learn about journalism. And she also was someone who really believed in partnering with the community and trying to create educational programs for students. And so she had reached out and was um, in touch with the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, part of the National Association of Black Journalists locally in Pittsburgh, where I grew up. And they were just starting a high school journalism workshop and trying to get students who might be interested in working with seasoned journalists from the community um, on a, every weekend, creating a newspaper, creating a, an advertising campaign and a, and a radio show as well, and also doing press conferences with local community leaders and visiting places that would be interesting to do stories on. So I got involved in that workshop, and I stayed with that workshop for about three years. Public and high school, we, way to go. <laughs> it, exactly. Exa it can happen. It can yes. happen. You just have to be creative with a little bit of money that you you have. And, um, and it was really a good opportunity for me to learn from people that I would see on the air, bylines that I read because my parents were really adamant about getting the paper, local paper every day. And so we had that in our home and we watched the news as a family, which people find hard to do these days and, and don't need to because you can get everything, you know, at the, on your iPad when you want it. But, but we would actually sit and watch the news every day too. So it was really inspiring and being able to see people doing what I, would, what I thought I might want to do and what I was actually trying to do in high school. I think that really solidified my interest in journalism, my desire to become a journalist. And I'm really thrilled that I'm still doing it and still in touch with my high school journalism teacher, the person who started that 
uh, high school journalism workshop. They're still my mentors, my great friends um, for me and for my family now, 20, 30 years later. Then transitioning into business journalism, that was that a no-brainer? For me, I think I just, I majored in finance, so it seemed like a natural progression of my studies, but I don't think anyone wakes up going, I can't oh, wait to be a financial yeah. journalist. Well, it's not a natural progression for a sociologist, right, who took Ectan at Harvard under the rest that we had to and was really scared and had to get a tutor and, you know, supply and demand was not something that came straight to my mind as something that made sense, but of course it makes perfect sense now. Um, I think that, it again, it's telling a good story, but telling um, the money angle of it. And, and as the first internship I had at the Wall Street Journal, my bureau chief told me every story comes down to numbers often. And, and you know, you just follow the money and you can tell a great story. And so that's kind of how I fell into it. I um, I did a couple of business stories um, for the local paper when I was an intern. It's a Pittsburgh Press. I did an internship at the Wall Street Journal because I happened to meet someone who was an intern at the Wall Street Journal one summer and she said, come meet my bureau chief. And I just thought it would be a great opportunity to work for the journal from uh, locally in Pittsburgh. Um, but I wasn't because I had such an interest in business news. And, and even though technology was really starting to take hold in Pittsburgh and the steel industry was dying down. There were a lot of interesting business stories to tell, but the stories that I did were education stories and um, uh, other types of stories that just kind of had maybe a business angle to them or there was some private public partnership going on and I was covering that. And then finally, you know, when I got out of college and out of grad school and started working um, as a journalist, I was working at Time Magazine and there I was a general assignment reporter and I was really kind of intimidated by Wall Street and business news and the coverage that I was kind of required to look into as a, as a New York correspondent. But I did find one story that was my kind of business story, and it was a story about a philanthropist in New York who had um, worked all of her life at the IRS, made very little money um, in terms of her income, but was an extremely savvy investor, investing in everything that she really was interested in and consumer products in media and film. And she ended up amassing millions of dollars and then giving it all away to a university that she never attended, but wished that she could have. And I just found that to be a fascinating story. It got a lot of attention in Time Magazine. And it was the one clip that I could show around to people when I was out looking for other opportunities. And I met someone at NBC News who saw that and said, hey, you're a really great business journalist. And I was like, of course I am. <laughs> Not, but, you know, you spend yourself whatever way you need to to get exactly. the opportunity. And she said, we have we have a great network, CNBC, that needs reporters who can write well and really come up with interesting stories. And I think you should talk to them. And I talked to CNBC and I've been here ever since, 19 years later. Amazing. I love it. You know what? It just, I think that for me, that story distilling it, it's really about Sharon being uh, ambitious, knowing what she wants, but also opening yourself up to new opportunities and taking, swallowing that fear and saying, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I love that part of the story where like, I found my angle to this. That was a exactly. Sharon business story. That you know, it, I had an opportunity yeah. a couple of weeks ago to talk to a number of young journalists and I met some really amazing journalists who had covered Ferguson over the course of several months and um, they were looking for new opportunities and one of them was very interested in going into television, having worked for a national, um, mostly print and digital organization. And uh, she said, I think I'm going to go into local news. I think I said, you know what? You really need to think bigger. 
you've already been on a national stage. You've covered one of the toughest stories of the year, perhaps of the decade. And, um, you know, think about things that will challenge you and the angles of that story that you weren't able to tell. And economics, of course, is a big part of what's going on in our country in terms of race and, and tensions that we're seeing. So, you know, people really need to think, and I'm sure you encourage people to, when you're thinking about business news and financial news, it's not all about a stock ticker and people shouting from a trading floor or pundits shouting down one another about this stock is better or that stock is better. It's really about the opportunities that are created in communities, in neighborhoods, in our country as a whole that allow people to be successful. And and it often comes down to to money and opportunities there, but um, there are ways to tell the story that can be so much more humane and very mm-hmm. interesting than than what some people think of. I think. Yeah, follow the money, and you'll be surprised sometimes. Exactly, Sharon. What is your financial philosophy? Very curious to hear this from you, someone who's worked into the financial news space for close to twenty years. Uh, what would you say is your overarching money mantra? You cover personal finance, so very interested to hear what you have to say. Well, I think everyone should take a money minute every day, every day, just some aspect of your finances to think about. And I'm, you know, maybe a little bit type A about it, but there's, I I have, I always want to know where I stand. I always want to know where I stand. So I have alerts on my phone from my bank. (laughs) You know, I have a certain limit that I want to know if I, you know, go below or above um, in terms of my balances. Um, I'm just one who likes to to just do a a checkup, a quick check, so that I'm not surprised at the end of the month. Um, And there's so many opportunities now for people to do that. So I think it's really just important to to constantly be um, reviewing where you stand in terms of your finances. And also to make sure that we, we say it all the time, but, you know, just really spend what you have. Mm-hmm. Spend what you have and not more than that. Live within your means. And it's hard in New York area. It's hard as a mom. Um, I know you're seeing this now too. With you want to give your kids everything mm-hmm. and your friends, some of them are giving their kids everything and you don't, you know, <laughs> keeping up with the Joneses is a really big thing to try to avoid. Um, but it's a, it's really, really important because you don't know on the surface. You see how people are living, but you don't really know how they're living. And you don't know what debt they're taking on to have these lifestyles sometimes. So right. I think living within your means is very, very important. And the best way to do that is to just constantly be checking up on yourself. Um, if you're married, checking up on your spouse, doing it together um, and figuring out where you are and where you want to go. Take us back to little Sharon growing up. Um, you already described how your parents were very involved in educating you about the news and getting that paper. I think uh, that's such a great, such a great memory. Um, but what about money growing up? How no, was your exposure to that? Well, um, I will say one of my first memories of being on set with one of our top anchors at CNBC was um, a day when a lot was happening with IBM stock. And he was on set and he was, uh, we were all off camera at the time and he was saying, you know, this is so interesting because I completely remember when my grandfather gave me my first shares. And I thought, wow, we are from two different planets because no one gave me any shares of stock when I was growing up. So, um, we didn't <laughs> I think talk that's true about for most people, the stock though. market. And we didn't talk about the stock market. And we didn't really talk about finances. My memories, um, my mother, which is a little bit unique for someone who's now 79 years old, my mother was in charge of our finances. So my father was the primary breadwinner, but my mom was the one who um, 
paid all the bills and was in charge of making sure that everything ran like clockwork in terms of the family finances. And so I have very, very fond memories um, of her, um, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, sitting at the dining table, her brown knit, you know, trying to figure out how it was all going to happen. She sent two, they sent two children to Harvard um, one year at the same time. So there are some big expenses uh, along the way that they had to incur as educators living in the city of Pittsburgh, but they did it. And, um, and I think it's because they had open communication about finances, but they also had, um, they delegated the responsibilities of who was going to do what. And that, that helped them a lot. So I kind of have taken that role in my own family and um, I kind of handle the bills, but we, we talk about everything and we split finances and um, I believe in yours, mine and ours. And that's how we run our our different accounts. So um, that's how we do it. I love that. You know, sometimes parents, they don't have to sit you down and talk to you about finances, but just through their, through their modeling can leave such a legacy for their kids and such great lessons. Right. You know, we never had the fanciest cars and we never took the big, big trips and, um, but we, did things as a family that now I, I talk about a lot about the gift that you can give your kids of experience um, and of time. So the fact that I did have family dinners, the fact that um, I was able to... And it was just called dinner. It was not family it was just dinner. dinner. <laughs> it was just right, called exactly. dinner. It was just called dinner. Uh, and those kind of experiences we take for granted. I think kids still want that. <laughs> you know, I think it's even rarer and for many of our families to be able to do things like that, to take the time and spend with your kids. And maybe I say that because I just came back from two weeks of being mom full time on a vacation. But it's it's just important to have that time. And um, uh, I think that's something that's almost free where you can find free, free, free things to do in the, in that time that they'll remember forever. So, um, I think that's a, that's a really important thing for people to think about. I agree. You can't spoil your kids with too much time. You can with too many no. things and money, but exactly. <laughs> time is, exactly. is uh, invaluable. What about failure, Sharon? We talk a lot on the show about our failures as they do end up giving us such life lessons. What is one financial failure of yours that uh, you reflect upon still and say, even though this was maybe inconvenient or a tough lesson, it did learn. I did learn a tremendous amount from this. Well, I really do believe in living within your means and trying to, um, you know, make sure that anything that I purchase, even a big ticket item, that it's something that I really have the money for and I can pay for right away or by the end of that billing cycle if I do put it on a credit card. But when I moved into my first home, you know, I, I, we were living there for months and I had no furniture. And one of my friends came over. I was like, a gym in here. Look like you live in a gymnasium, like you have this living room and there's nothing here. I thought, this is crazy. I just really want this place to be furnished. And so before my daughter's first birthday, I decided to hire an interior designer and just furnish the whole first floor. I was like, you know what? I'll just do it. And, you know, I, I kind of went into debt to do that and took me a, a, a more time than I anticipated to pay that off. And why? I work all day. My kids would have been perfectly fine with the gymnasium because then they would have no more time to run around the house. But did I do that so that when friends came over, they saw nice furniture and great paintings and some mirrors and, you know, lamps and stuff? Maybe. And so that was my lesson to myself that um, I really need to not think about what other people are saying or how it's going to look to people, you know, um, 
what they expect me to be able to do as a TV reporter or as a you know person living in New York and uh, and what can I really do and what's really going to be able to be something that's going to be lasting for my family did I did I need to furnish it or should I have put all that money in a 529 plan I did right. put some money in 529 plan but I could have probably put more in though that the year that I did the furniture spree is so it, that was one that was one yeah, life lesson. It's I the say. truth about renovations and remodeling projects though. You think it's going to be some one cost and it ends up being another much higher number usually. Exactly. I'm in the middle of that right now and tell me. I'm tell you don't have to tell me, Sharon. I am like constantly looking at my budget. I'm concerned about the cash flow just because like just today I got an email from my pl- my contractor saying that they're going to have to like literally drill a hole in my neighbor downstairs ceiling to get to the plumbing, which means I'm probably going to have to displace my neighbors for a week and pay for their hotel. Yeah, this was not anticipated, but guess what? It has to happen. It's it's that or we have to live in a demolished house. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> with tents. Exactly. With tents. Exactly. Uh what okay, let's talk happy. Let's talk about success. Your so money moment. I asked my guests this on the show. A, a moment in your financial life where you felt you really accomplished a great deal thanks to your hard work and efforts. I think it's when I, you know, after the kind of fiasco of the furniture, I'll call it. Um and I really was feeling that cash flow issue that you're talking about, not being able to put the money in all the buckets that I like to. And a lot of those buckets are savings buckets. And coming out of that and being able to be able to put in the percentages that I really wanted to, to my savings for myself and my husband for our retirement, to my, for my kids' education. And then thankfully, because of what we've seen before this recent correction, seeing that money grow for years and years, that has been really, really a so money moment for me. But I will say that um, I cover this, you cover this, but I don't do it alone. And I'm not one who's going to say that I, you know, manage all my own money and that I know exactly, I do know where I'm invested, but I work with someone. And I think it's so important to work with a financial advisor. And kind of, I think we share um, the, you know, this so money moment, you know, he probably has a lot more than I do because he works with so many clients. But um, I think it's really important to work with someone. I would never have had the discipline to do what I've done um, and to have someone say, okay, I know you feel, you're feeling the, ca- the cash crunch right now, but it will be okay. And he definitely said that to me and it took a couple of years, but it did happen. And he was absolutely right that I was able to still um, fulfill the goals that I wanted in terms of savings and, and making sure we were properly insured and all of that and still be able to have a vacation and, and do the things that I wanted to do. It didn't happen right away, mm-hmm. but it did eventually happen. And I think that's why it's so important to have that gut check and have someone that you can talk to about your money. Um, I'm a firm believer in having a financial advisor or some type of financial professional that you work with or a team, better yet. Ditto that. And actually, you've just encouraged me to call my financial advisor today after the morning I have had with these emails <laughs> from my contractor, knowing that I'm going to be another $10,000 probably in the hole with this construction project. Good morning. You are now $10,000 poorer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> was basically exactly. my morning. You know, you know, yeah. It's it's great. I mean, maybe we know too much, but I think it's important to know the information and ask and ask the questions that you don't know or that or that you might know the answer to, but you just want someone else to reassure you. And when I was covering, you were talking about how I've covered personal finance. I also covered commodities for eight years. 
And when I was on the floor of the New York Mercantile Exchange with traders all day and covering at the time, I was looking at gold prices and silver prices soaring. And, you know, I was talking to these traders who were buying um, silver, you know, for their kids and, you know, stashing it away and going to use that for college. I remember calling my financial advisor from work saying, you know, this is crazy. Did you see what's happened this week in silver? Should I, do I have any silver? Should I, how can I get some silver? He's like, you know what? You know, just stick to your plan. Just stick to your plan. And do you know, within the next couple of weeks, that silver price plummeted. And it was just, it was a, a momentum play on the way up, a momentum play on the way down. And it wasn't something that really fulfilled what I was looking to do with my overall finances. So I needed that gut check. So it's things like that too, mm-hmm. for even those of us who work kind of in the markets and covering the stuff that but yeah, yeah exactly. it's very tempting. I remember when I worked with Jim Cramer at thestreet.com and literally every day we were talking about movements in the market and what to buy and what to sell. And people were coming to me exactly. for stock picks. And I was like, I just have a 401k right. <laughs> with index right. funds. I am right. not your and gal. You know, people, and people need to realize that that's, you know, just having that is really great. And it's not just having that. Understanding how that works is so amazing because there's so many coworkers that I talk to that never look at that thing. They know they have a 401k. They don't, they don't know what's in it. They don't, um, really think about in our, in our company, we have the great advantage of having a Roth 401k option. They don't even know that that exists or that's the opportunity to build tax free growth, what that really means for them. Um, and these are younger employees that can, really benefit greatly from some of these um, different types of products that are offered in the 401k or different types of options for retirement savings. So it is, even if it's just that and you're not, you're not a hedge fund manager, you don't have all these other types of assets that you can invest in, but you, what you do have is really terrific. What's your number one money habit, Sharon? Something that you practice consistently. It doesn't have to be every day, but it's something that you do that does directly correlate to financial well-being. Checking my bank balance. Yeah. Checking my bank balance every day. I and do I do do it every day. I do I get an alert every day and I look at it and I just and it's also, frankly, with all that we've seen in terms of identity theft and fraud, um, really, really an important thing for people to do just to make sure no one else is getting that. I use my debit card quite a lot. I ver- I rarely use cash. I try to use it around my kids just so that they can see what money looks like and you right. know, great math lessons there. But um it's just much easier for me to budget and to to um see my account online, so I use my debit card a lot. But I want to make sure that no one else is getting that information. So doing that that checkup every day is very important. So that's something I do. All right, Sharon, we're almost wrapped here. But before we go, I always ask my guests at the end to finish some sentences. It's the So Money Mad Libs, fill in the blanks. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Pay off my house. Yeah. How many more years do you have to go on that mortgage? <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, next question. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Childcare. I can echo that. One thing that is my guilty pleasure, my, my biggest splurge is? Spa day. Yes. <laughs> One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? I wish I had learned about the stock market earlier on. I think I think I, w- I wish I had learned about investing, you know, as a teenager. I look at teens doing these um, stock market challenges in high school, and I just think it's, it's really important to understand how the markets work 
uh, as soon as possible. So um, doing learning about that before I got to college would have been a great thing. Mm-hmm. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to financial education organizations that focus in some way on financial education. Again, I think uh, you can't start too young. I mean, even preschool, I think, is an age to learn about what you need, what you want, um, and how to make good decisions because that's really what managing your money is all about. Delaying gratification, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last but not least, I'm Sharon Epperson. I'm so money because... I'm so money because I love helping people manage grow and protect their money and learn all they can to make sure that they can reach their financial goals. Thank you so much, Sharon, for the great work that you do. I am honored to call you a colleague and a friend and now guest on the show. I really appreciate your time and uh, we'll be following you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sharon. Take care. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Sharon Epperson, head over to cnbc.com forward slash Sharon dash Epperson. She's also on Twitter at Sharon underscore Epperson. All this information at somoneypodcast.com. And please continue sending me your questions about money, work, life, or guests at somoneypodcast.com. Just click on Ask Farnoosh and there's a very good chance that I will respond in the Ask Farnoosh episodes. Thanks so much to my guest, Sharon Epperson, and to all of you for joining me. I hope your day is so money.